I'm Mike Breen talking with Hani Farid, who's the David T. McLaughlin Distinguished Professor of Computer Science at Dartmouth College. Professor Farid is an expert in digital forensics, uh, that is detecting uh, tampering or altering of digital photos. Uh, and a lot of times when people think about forensics, uh, they think about uh, testifying in trials. And Hani, you actually have done that. I have, and I find myself doing it more and more as, as, the, as the years go on. We're, we're seeing more and more uh, digital media being introduced in, in everything from criminal cases to civil cases to malpractice, medical cases. And wherever digital media is being introduced, this could be audio recordings, it could be images, it could be video, there are often questions of authenticity um, that are rising um, with it. And that, that's something fairly new, and, and, and I think the law in particular is, is struggling and trying to come to grips with this. Are you able to say with considerable certitude when, when something's a forgery or, or not authentic? Yeah, I, I think the answer to that question is it depends. Uh, there are absolutely times where we um, can say quite definitively that we have found tampering in the field of digital forensics and really any authentication is that it's a much easier problem to say um, that something has been manipulated than something has not been manipulated. So if you find traces of tampering, um, usually there's mathematics or statistics uh, that will tell you that there is something anomalous here. Whereas if you don't find tampering, the best you can say is, well, there's nothing peculiar here. And we infer from that that it is um, likely to be authentic. It's hard to prove a negative. Exactly. Uh, in the math moment that you helped us with, this is the one on finding fake photos. We have a picture of uh, Angelina Jolie and Brad Pitt on Star Magazine, and you, I, I went to a talk where you talked about how the shadows give them away. Uh, now, suppose I took this picture and I decided to put my head on Brad Pitt's shoulders. How could you tell? Well, it, may, it might be real obvious, but how would you know the, the things that you've developed? How would you know that that wasn't an authentic picture? Well, the first thing is that you'd be next to Angelina Jolie, which I think I'll admit is a bit of a problem. <laughs> but there's a number of things that we can actually do. Uh, so, for example, in this particular composite that you're referring to, Star Magazine, uh, we look for things like consistencies or inconsistencies in lighting. So when we create composites of two people, the two people were originally photographed in separate settings, typically with the light in a different position, and we are able to uh, mathematically determine where the light was when that person was originally photographed and we can look for inconsistencies in those. Uh, there's other things that we can also do. Uh, if, for example, your photograph that you originally took, you were larger or smaller than the size of the head that you have to splice yourself into, in Photoshop or a similar photo editing software, the head will be smaller or a little bit bigger, or maybe you have to rotate it a little bit. And that leaves behind, that manipulation called interpolation, leaves behind a very specific statistical artifact that we can detect. So the game of forensics is not, here is the magic wand, but it's really a series of tools that combine to look for different types of tampering and images. And we run a number, a suite of tools. We have close to a dozen now and are developing more. And each one looks for a different type of uh, forgery. Through history, people have disappeared from photographs. And now that might be a little bit easier to do, you mentioned Photoshop. Another algorithm that you developed, how someone might uh, replace a person's face or the whole person with the part of the background. Uh, that's right. So one of the most common forms of manipulation, and has been true you know, from, the, from the late 1800s through history, is that of removing people from images. Uh, Stalin, of course, famously did this, but he wasn't alone. Uh, a number of uh, photographs in history from Mao to Mussolini uh, altered photographs to remove people who fell out of favor. And the way you do that is you typically take a part of the, well, today in the digital world, you take a part of the existing photograph, for example, the sky is glass, the brick wall, 
you copy it and you paste it into another part of the image, and that can very seamlessly and very easily remove somebody from an image. When you do that, it's called cloning or copy-paste. And if you do it well, it's very hard to detect because the, 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 the eye is not particularly sensitive to these. Statistically, again, there, there's something very anomalous in the image, which is there are two regions that are essentially identical to one another. And we've developed an algorithm that can efficiently search out those regions in an image. So if you knew exactly where the regions were, it's easy to spot. But the, but the tricky part is finding where those regions are. Uh, that's exactly right. Um, so if I tell you, if I ask you a question, are these two regions identical, it's very easy. But if you don't know where the regions are and you don't know what size they are, you have a computationally very demanding problem. So really the trick of the algorithm, the hard work has been trying to determine uh, if there are two regions of unknown location and unknown size that are exact copies of each other. And that, that is just a computationally very difficult problem because you have to search a huge number of possible region and region sizes. So what's clever about the algorithm that we developed is that we can do that very, very efficiently. Uh, now, and you mentioned statistics. Is there any other specific math that's used? Well, I mean, underneath everything we do is mathematics, and that's, that's sort of the beautiful part of this field because it's, it's a field where it's very visual. It has applications to our society and law and science and the media and our day-to-day lives. But underneath it is we always start with writing down some mathematical equations that describe either how images are formed, how images are manipulated, and we use several branches of mathematics. We, we of course, use calculus, linear algebra, probability statistics, but we also use fields such as computer vision, computer graphics, um, machine learning, artificial intelligence, and it really, we like to sort of think of ourselves as sitting at the center of, of, of all these different tools out there, and we just draw from the different mathematics, and that also it's important from the point of view of the legal system, which is when we are going into a court of law and saying we believe this to be manipulated, the court has the right, in fact, the obligation to ask, well, are you sure? And one of the beautiful things about mathematics is that you can say something with, with a certain amount of certainty about your work. And how did you get interested in all this? Uh, this was such a, a serendipitous moment for me. I was, I was a postdoc, a postdoctoral fellow at MIT, I just picked up a random book that was sitting on the return card, and it, it was the Federal Rules of Evidence, um, which talked about how and under what conditions you can introduce evidence into a court of law. And I just flipped to a random page, and there was a clause laying out the rules for introducing photographs into evidence in a court of law. And the rules of evidence make no distinction between 35-millimeter negatives, traditional film, and modern-day digital images. And while they acknowledge that digital images can be manipulated and altered. They also acknowledged that there's nothing that they can, well, at the time that the book was written, at least, that there was nothing that they could do about it, and so they treat the two media, digital and film, as the same. And it seemed to me at the time, about 10 years or so now, that this was going to be a problem, and that's what started me down this path. Wow. On your webpage, uh, you have a a link to, uh, one of the links is to Math Kids. You explain how they can get a motorcycle from their parents. That's right. I, I think one of the, the great misconceptions about mathematics is that uh, it has no place in everyday life. And as somebody who's trained as an applied mathematician in computer science, I find that it's exactly the opposite, that in fact mathematics has application to everything we do. It, it can form the core of how we think, everything from logic to calculus. And, and so one of the things I did was I, I described how you can, it's not a trick, it's, it's in fact a beautiful logical argument where you can, you can essentially 
if your parents are true to their words, you can get them to buy you a motorcycle um, without ever, by the way, mentioning the word motorcycle in, in, in the original part of the, the thing. So if you'd like to see that, you can see that on my webpage. And it's really a very simple uh, example of how logic, a branch of mathematics, can be used. That's Hani Farid, David T. McLaughlin, Distinguished Professor of Computer Science at Dartmouth College. Hani, thank you very much. Thank you.